Father, we thank you for this time. We ask that you would speak to us tonight, Lord. We pray that you would um, help us to all learn something tonight, Lord, that it would be from you and that it would be something that we can apply to our life and that we can take home with us, Lord. We ask, Lord, that we also, too, would bring things to the table that other people can learn from us, Lord. And we pray that as um, everything takes place tonight, your spirit would guide and direct us to bring honor and glory to Yeshua, Jesus our Messiah. Amen. 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 So welcome. I know we have a few people visiting. We won't single you out. Guy and uh, Duke. (laughs) No, not alone. We have a few new folks. So welcome. We didn't scare you off too bad last Saturday, so you came back. So didn't scare you off at the uh, memorial service. Everybody else here is old folks, so that's fine. Mature. So we're in, we're in the book of Jonah. Everybody know where Jonah is in the Bible? You got the tabs. It's the one that says Jonah. I looked it up. What's that? I looked it up. Computer, yeah. Depends on which Bible you have. Exactly. Depends on the Bible you got. Small book. You can go past it real quick. Most of us are familiar with the whale, the fish, and we are in our uh, just the fourth fourth week, I believe, fourth time. We've been interrupted. Jonah's been interrupted a little bit. And uh, as Diane mentioned, we'll be interrupted again next week, and we'll see uh, how far we can go. But there's a lot, a lot of stuff in this little book. And so we did chapter 1, chapter 2, and then a little modified, I think, chapter 3 with what Michael did. And so we're going to go back to to chapter 3 again this week. So if you have a Bible, we're going to stay mainly in chapter 3. I might go a few other places, uh, maybe a psalm or uh, somewhere in the New Testament as well, a couple places. So... Let's get started. I'm going to look, we're going to kind of go through about three major chunks of verses, make some observations, and talk about some of the different things in the book. So, starting in Jonah chapter 3, this is right after one piece that's, you know, that we need to realize is this is Jonah has, we saw that God uh, gave him the call in chapter 1, and very deliberately God said, get up and go, and it said that Jonah got up and fled. It was complete opposite of what God said, and then we know that uh, he tried to get on a ship, go in the opposite direction, and there was a big storm, and then uh, he was thrown overboard, and then swallowed by a fish. So this is, uh, some say whale, but uh, it says fish. Everyone remember the word for fish in Hebrew? Dog. Dog. Remember dog, right? It's dog, but uh, it's dog. That's your mnemonic device. It's dog. Dog is fish, but it's dog. Anyways... So a big dog swallowed him, and then uh, we see that he that's where he kind of got his senses about him, cried out to the Lord. Rabbi Chaim spoke about that. I'd recommend you go back to the Internet and listen to that if you haven't heard that message. And then uh, it says here in verse 10 of chapter 2 that the Lord spoke to the fish again, and it spewed, vomited in some cases, it says, uh, Jonah out onto the dry land. We see the very obedient fish. Uh, juxtaposed with the disobedient at the time, Jonah. So here we are in chapter 3. It says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
And the people of Nineveh, I said, we'll stop right there for just those first four verses. So, again, we see that, um, let me, I have a question for you. Something you may have heard before. Is God a God of second chances? Yes. yes. Who says yes? Yes. Man, not everyone. Who says no? No one says no. Undecided. We have neutral voters. <laughs> so you've heard of the Jewish answer, right? Yes and no. I've got a super Jewish answer for you for this one. It's no and yes and no. Okay, no and yes and no. So one Jew, three opinions. You've seen that right here, right? One Jew, I've got three opinions. So he's got a God of second chances. No, he's not a God of second chances. No stones coming in. Better than that, he's a God of another chance, multiple chances, not just two chances. He's a God of all kinds of chances, in a sense. In other words, we see this word used over and over in this in this book here, the, the word for grace, mercy, for second chances, if you will, chesed. He delights in chesed. We've talked about the idea that we want to extend mercy and grace to people. I'll talk a little bit more about that. That's one thing. But it's another thing to delight in that. You know, we often give someone a second chance. You're getting a second chance with me. But do we delight in it? God delights in it. So he's not a God of second chances so much as he is a God of another chance. Let's look at Psalm 25. This is just one example. I want to, there's many we can look at. And I'll read this. This is Psalm 25 and verses 6 to 7. Psalm 25, 6 to 7. <clears throat> it says, Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love. Not sure what your translations say there. Steadfast love, that's usually chesed in the Hebrew. It says, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, again, your chesed, remember me. According to your chesed, remember me. For your goodness' sake, O Lord. You know, we ask, and we should, ask God to forgive and realize that God forgives, not based on, on us or the improvement that we do or the good works that we do, but we do it based on what we read here uh, in the psalm and what we see in the book of Jonah. We ask God to forgive based on who he is, not because of us or because of our improvement or because of our, our good works. Let's look also very briefly over at Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9. says that the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Again, this is all, I mean, our foundation in God needs to be foundation of knowing who he is, and this is who he is. Again, not a God of, of second chances per se, a God of another chance, a God that delights in chesed, a God that we ask to forgive based on that knowledge, not based on um, our improvement or what we do in terms of being a better person and so forth. So a God of second chances? Okay, there's the yes. At first I said no. Now I say yes. Okay, but also no again. Okay? Also no in terms of what we call salvation. Okay, I think I think that most everyone in here's story, we think that most of us here, I think all of us here believe in Yeshua and the sacrifice and the atoning death of Yeshua. And that is not a, we don't, after death, after our earthly life, we don't get a second chance in that respect. So that's the, the other no of God being a God of second chances. Not in that respect. So we got to, Look at, look at what we're talking about here. 
But again, what about us and mercy? Because I think when we, when, we, when we realize God's merciful, Matthew 18 talks about, you know, or how often do I forgive? We forgive because of the way God's forgiven us. What about us and mercy? I mentioned it before. You know, we extend mercy, don't we? We talk about the, that being a covenant value, a value of our community, that we extend mercy, grace, chesed to one another. Um, but think about We need to really consider how we do that compared to the examples we see in Scripture of God and the way he extends grace and he extends mercy. Because quite frankly, I think if we're honest with ourselves and we, we, we look at that, we extend mercy, but often we do it in a way only to sort of build up a case and build up some you know ammunition uh, against other people. And maybe I'm just talking about me, and so we can all hear about how I do it. But uh, if you can relate to that, that, that's great. I was thinking about it, you know, uh, in the workplace, for example, many of us have, have that's, you know, we spend a lot of our time, right, or we have spent a lot of our time. Uh, those, some of us are retired now, right, and all wealthy and retired, like these couple gentlemen over here and so forth. But, uh, you know, remember being at work, and when someone, when someone gets in trouble at work, what happens sometimes? There's a thing that you, they say, you know, if you're a supervisor or if your supervisor calls you, you get written up, we're going to write you up, right? You ever heard that before? You ever get written up at work or heard about someone getting written up at work? That's where we, you know, we explain, or you're, it's explained to you kind of how you goofed up, all right? Document it. With enough evidence, then, you hope, you know, sometimes you do that as a strategy, right? Or it's done as a strategy at workplace where you get enough evidence against somebody, or you've, you've written them up, you've extended the, the grace, so to speak, but you've written them up enough to where the ultimate strategy is that you can then fire them, <laughs> you know? And, and that's often how we kind of operate. We think, you know, you owe me because I've forgiven you. I've extended grace to you so many times, so many times. And we sort of build a, even an imaginary, you know, right up in our mind, even personally, interpersonally. And that's often, I think, where we, where we end up with when we extend mercy to others. But God here, <clears throat> at least in this example, in this story, he gives this, this second chance to Noah. He's maybe He wrote him up at first, right? He wrote him up, sent him in the fish, and punished him and so forth. But this isn't a second chance in that respect because he he gives Jonah pretty much a clean slate. And he says to him, he says, go and tell the the proclamation or the the message that I will speak to you. It says here in verse verse 3, I'm sorry, in verse uh, verse 2, he says, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. And something you miss probably in the English there is that idea of the thing that I tell you or the message that I tell you. In Hebrew, it's, it's what's called a, a participle, a very fancy word for something that's not so much that um, it, it, mean, it can mean the message that I'm going to tell you, the message that I've told you, the message that I will tell you, and more importantly, the message that I'm going to continue to relate to you as time goes on. It's a continual, ongoing, ongoing process. So it's very, very important to keep that in mind, the way that God's dealing, uh, dealing with, with Jonah here, and also when we recognize the way in which Jonah is acting. Did he have the full message at the outset? I don't really know. We, we, we're going to look at his message, this wonderful, super, you know, Charles Spurgeon sermon that he gave here, these five Hebrew words that he, that he speaks. But we don't know if he gave that to him uh, at the outset. We don't know if he, if he gave it to him uh, only when he showed up. Did he step out on faith? We don't know. The point is there's a lot of trust going on here, and we see it here that God's going to continue to impart things to Noah. I mean, Jonah. Not Noah. Jonah. You can, is that one of the, what are the words? And you just play Scrabble. Can, what is it called? Uh, anagram or something where you can take letters and make them into other words? Jonah's Noah. Close. Maybe in, maybe in Hebrew. It's close. Noage. 
So the fish spit him out. Where did the fish spit him out? Anybody know? Dry land. Dry land, that's right. It's about all we know. There's lots of speculation. Some say the coast, you know, right there, coast of near, but you know, it's, it's a lot near Joppa or the coast of Palestine. However, we don't really know from the text. You might see if you research this, a lot of people are going to speculate. Was he spit out right there in Nineveh? Did he walk? He couldn't have been. It's, Nineveh's very far inland. The point is, like Floyd said, he spit him out um, on dry land, and he spit him out where he needed to be, period. Where he needed to be, whenever he needed to be there. Um, and after he was spit out, <laughs> he was released from the, from the fish, and he was given these instructions that, to, to get up and walk. And again, we saw that in, in chapter 1. When we look at chapter 1, it's pretty much the same words. He says, go to Nineveh, get up and go, and Jonah got up and fled. But this time it's very just very deliberate in the Hebrew. It says, and he got up, Jonah. Jonah got up, and he walked, and he went. It's kind of the same, you know, people talk about the faith of Abraham. I remember this, learning this uh, years ago. And people say, you know, when when was Abraham considered uh, that he showed faith in God? And when, when was he righteous? And everyone, well, right as he had that knife above Isaac, right, right when he was getting ready to plunge that knife, he showed his faith right there. Now I know you believe. Well, the fact of the matter is, when you look back at Genesis 12, I think Abraham's first act, first act of faith is that after God talked to him, same thing. Abraham got up and he went. Exact same words here uh, that we see in Jonah. And again, the total, total opposite from what we saw in chapter 1 of him getting up and fleeing. So those are the first four verses. When I put in your notes a couple of, couple of points, not necessarily the ones I talked about, but I talked about some additional stuff. But we do see that that, uh, Jonah responded in full obedience to the Lord's second call, his additional chance, if you will. And we learn from that that God does not abandon us when we show that we're willing to repent from our rebellion of him. Because that's, I mean, again, the way it started off with Jonah was a really complete rebellion. It wasn't like Jonah decided he would kind of go that way, but make his own plan. It completely the opposite of what God said, go up, get up and go to Nineveh. He went up and fled. So we see that God doesn't abandon when we show we're willing to repent from our rebellion. Second point is that Jonah put legitimate effort, and we'll look at this in a moment, put legitimate effort into proclaiming the message. It wasn't half-hearted. And that our endeavors on God's behalf must be genuine. And we'll see that I think genuineness is even more important than the, the slickness or the way in which we, we give the message. So let's let's read the next four verses here in uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 5. And well, before I do that, does anyone have any questions or comments on you know, what, I, what, we've, what I've said so far, or what, what we, these first four verses or anything? Yes, Karen? Wasn't Nineveh an enemy of Israel? Yeah. In the, fir- in the first week, we did talk about that too, the idea that it was so, it, wasn't, it was very much so that, that way. Um, and I think the, now the, the illustration I had given and I would read it's kind of like, you know, um, asking a Jew at the time of the, the Shoah, when, when Germany was invading these countries, to get up, go into the center square of Berlin and just, you know, to preach. Hey, you know what, guys? If you don't straighten up, God's going to come and wipe you out. That's kind of the same idea, you know, that, uh, that, that Jonah was facing. So definitely an enemy, for sure. Any other? Is there any uh, historical or scriptural record as to how they were going to be overthrown if they didn't repent? No, we see, I don't think so. We see later on, that, you know, and this is a question that we'll get into later, is did they really repent? I'll talk about that because we see later on that they did, you know, that God did judge them after that, and they did kind of go back on whatever 
repentance is here, and we'll talk about how we know whether was it heartfelt, was it not heartfelt, whatever. We see that later on that things did turn the other way for them, for sure. Yes, Mary? That they would repent against idolatry, and you know, apparently it was a very sinful city mm-hmm. or culture, and yeah. also enemy of Israel. Mm-hmm. So it was the idea that if he had Noah, Jonah had to break through, you know, to uh, to tell them the way you're living, like in Sodom and Gomorrah, the way you're living. Is not pleasing to God, and you're even hurting yourself. You're degrading your human nature. So, was a pretty probably was a pretty tough job to tell people that oh, you're sinning. Stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again. We have limited information on what he actually preached, what was actually going on. We'll look at it. We can speculate. There are other other historical records outside of the Bible that talk about the different way of life there and so forth. But as far as the text of the Bible, we don't really know. And in fact, I'll talk about this a little further. Was God really asking them to repent? Was he outrightly asking them to repent? I'll talk about that because, quite frankly, that's not part of the message. It just said 40 days and then you're going to be overturned. Do we know how big Nineveh was? Boy, that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> I mean, it says it took it three days to walk. But right. Other other historical says there was only a few miles across. Some talk about the width of the walls. Some talk about, well, at the end of Jonah, when it talks about 122,000 people, that was children, so that if we take that to expand to the population, it could be as much as a million. It could be 600,000. It could be 122,000. Was it just Nineveh proper? Were there many other cities and other places that were sort of the, the local you know, boroughs and so forth? And so... There's explanations for all that, so the, the short answer is you don't really know, except many times where it says, Irgidolas, big city, exceedingly large, three days, three days journey, 60 miles, and so forth. You know, we're making all these extrapolations from from these things. So, Duke, you had some? Yeah, I, I heard the preacher say that because it's a three-day journey, but he only walked one day. That's why he's kind of a half-hearted. So, is that true, or... And according to this paper, yeah. When you look at the map, I think it's. It, I think it takes longer to get there. Now, when he gets in there, the question is: you know, Did he did he walk around first? Clearly, it talks about him starting to preach on the first day. Does that mean he didn't continue on with that? I'm going to talk about the message, just how effective the message was. I, I, I don't believe it was half-hearted. I think it has less to do with Jonah and more to do with with the Lord, which is what I'll in the in one real some key phrases that are used here uh, that I won't that I'll get to in a moment. So I think that, I think there's a lot of that thing. I don't think we can clearly say, oh, he was half-hearted. He was not. I mean, we know at the end of the story, which you know in the other chapters, that he certainly was upset. But let's not forget that Jonah, I talked about this the first week that I, I introduced Jonah, is that we're really quick to say, oh, he was so faithless, and God said, get up and go, and he got up and fled, and I would never do that, and what a loser Jonah is, and he was so disobedient. None of us have ever really done anything like that before. I'll talk about that in a moment, but the fact of the matter is, don't forget, how many of us have just heard a clear word from the Lord, and who hear from, hear from God in such a way that we can say, I know exactly what you're asking me to do, and I'm going to go the other way. This is, a, this is a guy, a prophet, that God spoke to very clearly, and he heard him, and he chose him for this task. Gave him a second chance, and, uh, and he heard it again. Do you know what I mean? So I think we're, we're very quick to say, oh, this, is, this guy was a loser, and, and I would never be such a, a, a bad one. God speaks to me, I'm going to do something, but again... I don't know how many of us can, can claim that we've heard a message as clearly from God like Jonah did. So I think we, we need to be careful before we 
before we say that, and I'll talk a little more about it as we go along. David, yes, ma'am. And I think it's hard for us to wrap our heads around being called to say, okay, these people who may have hurt your family, hurt your loved ones, uh-huh. hurt, like, you know, like, it's not just, okay, it's not Abraham or Abraham, I'm going to give you land. It's right. Jonah, go and tell these people to not do what they're doing uh-huh. so I can be kind to them after. We don't know his history. Right. We don't know. We don't know his backstory, right? So, you know, he obviously had some angst for sure because yeah. he says, "I knew you. I knew you. I knew you." I mean, think about it. Not only did Jonah hear God, but he could converse with him, converse with him in such a way as to kind of be sort of stubborn and challenging God, almost like the way Abraham negotiated, you know, about Sodom and so forth. I mean, it's pretty impressive. I think Jonah should be actually someone. I'm not saying. I mean, in some ways, we can model the way in which he reacted to God because. Most of us would think, boy, if I heard from God, I would say, yes, sir, yes, absolutely. He, could, he almost said, he was sort of upset with God. You know, I'm not talking to you kind of thing. I mean, that was a pretty personal kind of a relationship with him. Did I see a hand Mr. Coon? I was just thinking we do the same thing. We, <laughs> well, you, definitely you. I don't know about it. We, we want to say we don't. I want to say I don't. Okay. But it was funny because I was reading this one um, today, and I was at work, and we were talking about um, different historical figures, if you will, that are we consider the, the blight, the horrible. Yeah. And uh, what he asked me at work, it was kind of interesting, he said, well, you know, uh, gosh, and I can't think of the guy's name. Oh, Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, remember, um, what do you think about that? You know, Ted Bundy supposedly, you know, accepted Christ right before. And we want to go yeah, right. I don't believe it. Why? How come? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. That can't be. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it's that it's the it's that child. It, it kind of comes back to the to the prodigal son. It's that child mm-hmm. that did that has done what is what is there, and the one that, mm-hmm. that has it. And why do I get? And this one doesn't. And this one, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you look at your brother, if you will, the one that didn't do what he was supposed to do, and all of a sudden there's this second chance, yeah. and you're like, wait a minute, and so I think we do it more than we more than we'd like to admit. I do it more than I'd like to admit. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> That's true. Well, and so, yes, Jonah had a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I know that I, when I approach scripture, there's a whole lot that the Lord says, okay, Crystal, you just do this. This is your heart attitude, and I just show up with a whole lot of, I don't want to. <laughs> Except when I have my I don't want to, and I have my bowl of I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. So I think... Spoon it in with I don't want to. Yeah. But I, so I think, I think maybe we, can, we can't, I can relate to Jonah. I mean, it, because we have God's word and that the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. uses. Well, one of the things, too, we have to remember that if God asks us to do something, He's going to help us do it, and He's more interested in us than us in seeing that yeah. it gets done. Yeah, we'll definitely see that too as we go a little further. Rabbi Chaim, you had something you were going to say? Yeah, that, no. What what grabbed me is the fact that um, this is about God wanting us to do something that really, uh, really goes against the grain down deep for us. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It does. You're saying, you're saying that these are enemies. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, see, we'll see some language as we go along here. Um, 
again, you know, we, we, we really put ourselves in the position of how we forgive, how we treat others, how we view, you know, how we view others when things, you know, we think things are out of line, out of order, versus how we see God handling the situation. Because there's a lot that's not spoken, and we have to read a lot into things. And sometimes the Bible, as we, we get towards the end of this chapter, uses uh, what I'm going to call accommodating language. So it's language that we can think, you know, okay, it said God was jealous. God changed his mind. We'll talk about that in a bit. What does that mean? There's no way we can take our own understanding of what those things mean out. The fact is, it's nothing like what we read in the the Bible, quite frankly. And it's a challenge because people get all crazy. God is not a man. He changes his mind. God, you know, all these these ways we read about God, this is really more accommodating for us because we really don't quite get it. We never do. It's a little preview of some stuff we'll see as we go along. Anything else before we keep going? Yeah, I remember two parables Jesus had. There was a vineyard owner they called oh, the workers. That's the hardest one. That's one very hard one for me to stomach, yeah. He, he <laughs> called them in the morning and midday and the afternoon and the ones that only worked like an hour in the afternoon right. were made the same as those who worked yeah. all day. And Jonah, you know, came late. Mm-hmm. And I want to remember there was another one where um, there was a worker who said he would do it, but he didn't. Right. And a, a second worker who said he wouldn't do it, but he did. Yeah. That was the important thing. Yeah. And so even though at first Jonah said he wouldn't, yeah. he did it in the end. I want to give him some credit for that. Absolutely. We pl- when we apply our economy to stuff, we get real turned around. And it's, and it's a challenge. The vineyard one's really tough, I think. You know, it does not seem fair. It does not seem fair at all. But it, it, it's, you know, we're not, if you study that parable, it's, at the end of the day, I think it's a real challenge. And, and we, can, we can know it in our head, but if we have to actually extend that to someone else, very difficult. Let's take one more, Katrina. Oh, I was just thinking, you know, about you showing he says, love your enemies. Like, oh. when you are able to do that, you're actually are conquering them. Yeah. And he says, love one another again. Not like, you know, as I have loved you. You know, not that one talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. I think I preached about that several weeks back. He says, a new commandment I give you. And we think, oh, it's not a new commandment. We're always told to love our neighbor. Well, that was love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying to love your neighbor as I have loved you, which is, it's a slight twist on it. It's a little different. So it's very important to keep that in mind. Let's, let's go on to the next four verses. We can do some more talking to if we, if we have some time here. So verses 5 through 9. This is after he went out and gave his, again, his, his awesome five-word message that I'll, talk, I'll go over with you. It says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. <clears throat> they proclaimed a fast, and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock, shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. So again, there, Mary, we, we see something that's going on, but is it something unusual? I mean, probably stuff that's going on anywhere. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. You know, people struggle <clears throat> with Jonah. I mentioned this the first week. Struggle with Jonah often about being, when I say struggle, I mean struggle with the book as, as history. Is it real? Did it happen? And so forth. Primarily because of the, you know, being swallowed by the fish and being preserved. And because of that, 
the whole book, in some cases, maybe not in this room, in a lot of cases, the whole book kind of gets thrown out because we don't we don't believe it's true. That's crazy. Who can get swallowed by a fish? And pastors, you'll hear some message. If you hear some preaching on this, some some people focus on right out of the, right off the gate giving up examples of a guy in Netherlands Netherlands who was swallowed and came out with his skin was white and he survived. They had all these examples of a, a sperm whale on the size, and they they found whole what sharks and people, and they really want to try to explain this to get it out of the way because that becomes because that's often one of the biggest hindrances to people accepting the book as as what it is, as history. Um, and it really, it's, it's, a, it's an opposition to the supernatural. It's an opposition to, to the miraculous. Um, but I want to propose that if we exclude the miraculous from our Bible, if we exclude the miraculous, how much do we have left? It's not just a few things here and there. Um, you know, and specifically with, with regard to Jonah, if you, if you exclude the miraculous and you exclude the book, you, you exclude a big, a big uh, teaching of Yeshua, of Jesus, when he says, you know, just as Jonah was in the belly of the... You know, he gives that as an example. If you, exclude, you start really, you know, losing a lot of the book, you know. Because in, in Jonah, there's more miracles than just the swallowing of, by the, the fish. Uh, you've got the storm that comes. You've got the selection of Jonah by Lot that kind of showed his, his guiltiness. You've got the sudden subsiding of the sea all of a sudden. And you've got the fish, of course, that was there at the right time, that swallowed him, that preserved him, that ejected him, safe and sound. Later on, you've got this gourd, if you know the rest of the story of Jonah, this thing that grows up, this worm that eats the gourd, an east wind. But the greatest of all, I think the greatest of all, and perhaps overlooked, miraculous thing in the story is what we read just here. And that's the repentance of the entire city and all of the territories uh, of Nineveh. That's the most miraculous thing, I believe. It's often no, no one's ever said, I don't believe Jonah because how could the whole city ever... Usually it's, no, how'd the fish swallow him? How'd he live in the belly of the fish? That's not possible. But no one talks about, it can't be true because how did that message spread? This is, you know, this is the biggest revival in the Bible. You know that? Bigger than any, bigger than Acts 2, 3, you know, bigger than any of all the number of people coming to the This is bigger than any of them. This is bigger than any of them. How and why did the news get around? How did it reach the king? And as Michael asked, I, I don't care how you cut it, there was 122,000 people. This wasn't a, we talking about how they got around back then. This was not a small area. This was, I believe it was probably spread out territories all kind of underneath. It wasn't just Nineveh proper. It wasn't a small area. It was not compact. If you had a message today you wanted to get to Donald Trump, <laughs> how successful do you think you'd be in doing it? I'd be very successful. Would you? Okay. We got one. His friend runs Trump International. Is that right? Okay. Now, if you want to get your personal message to the president of the U.S., what about uh, the Colorado governor? Uh, uh, Lincoln, Lincoln, what is it? Hickenlooper. Uh, mayor Hancock. Just Denver. Just, just, the mayor, just the mayor of Denver. How would you get your message? <clears throat> Especially without any electronic means. How successful would you get your, you know, your, your story? How would you do it? Every place is walking distance if you have the time. Exactly. Every you can. Is it walking distance from here? Yeah, if you got the time, everywhere is walking distance, right? You know, we can we can walk. <laughs> Was Jonah successful? I mean, this is a, this is a this is a miraculous thing. Think about it. Even in our day, it'd be a pretty pretty big deal to get a message just to everyone in Greenwood Village. For Pete's sake, I mean, we have a message just to the the, you know, the, the the officials of Greenwood Village, let alone the Colorado or Denver or the President of the United States. Was Jonah successful because of his captivating personality? <laughs> no. I doubt it. 
we were talking the half-hearted. Duke said David's message was half-hearted. Um, <laughs> was he successful because of the message itself? I mean, it did reach the king, and it reached him fast, and it was impactful in the king. Don't, don't miss that. And that's actually, I think, for us, we want that. Don't ever we want that? We, we want a message to get out to everybody, yes. But I think it's, we shouldn't overlook the fact that we want a message. I mean, we, we prayed for somebody up here earlier. This was a, a person that's going to meet with him, might come to our services. Nobody's special. Everyone's made by God. The fact is there are you know, decision makers. There are impactful people. There are influential people in the world. And there are a lot of believers that have been reached, people who have been reached for the Lord. And a lot of things get done because of influential, impactful people. And that's what we, that's what we want, for sure, in addition to everybody else, of course. Um, but people that God has elevated into a position of power. So how do we do that? How do we reach those people? How do we have a, a success like Jonah did in this story? Anyone have any ideas? Anyone? Someone's mentioned it already. What's that? God. You ain't the God answer. Come on. Well, I think we can go back to our text. You know, one, one method of Bible study, maybe you've heard of inductive Bible study before. Usually we read a passage and everyone wants to jump in and interpret it right away. Well, inductive Bible study says that you read the Bible, you observe, make observations. You write down the who, what, when, where, whys, and hows, and so forth. And then you ask questions of the text, you know. Like, where'd the, where'd the whale spit him out? You know, that'd be a question, you know. And then you go back to the text to see, does it answer it? And eventually, you interpret. But most, most of us go to read, and we want to interpret right away. We want to observe, 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 ask questions, and then go back and see if they answer. And I think, for me, um, I, I go back to the text. The text here would be verse 3 again. This is verse 3. What, what made the message so successful? Um, in, in verse 3, it says that, so Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I think that's the key right there. It's been, literally, it's, uh, and Jonah rose up, and Jonah walked to Nineveh, or went to Nineveh, and then the big highlighted thing is, according to the word of the way of Adonai, according to the word of the Lord. According, that word according, probably all your translations say according. Do they all say according to the word of the Lord? Or with anyone say anything different than according to? Because it literally is according to. It's the the word that means like or because or as, as basically God laid out according to the word of Adonai, just as He said. And again, what is that? I think that was kind of between God and Jonah. We don't really know exactly what He said. We don't know if He gave it to him then. We don't know if He gave it to him after he was in walking for a day. We don't know exactly. But it was according to what God had laid out. And I think that is the answer for us as well. And that's not something we can just say, oh, do it according to the word of the Lord. That takes time. That takes walking with God. That takes sensitivity. And even though God was <clears throat> doing the work, okay, this is kind of going back to what Duke asked, I think we, we should not assume that Jonah had nothing to do with it, just like we don't assume that we have nothing to do with it. Because there's that ditch, as, as I would say, where... We can't do anything. We're worthless worms, and only by God's grace does He save us. There's absolutely nothing we can do, and nothing we can add to the equation. I'm not going to get into that whole debate right here. I want to say, don't assume that Jonah had nothing to do with it, um, because even if his message was not that fancy, I don't believe it was. I don't believe that it was unimpassioned, as you mentioned, um, because I think you got to realize he knew that he knew what God could do. You read chapter 2, and you see there's some passion there. The, the psalm that he talks about, 
he had just experienced it. He had just been spit out. <laughs> Whether he had walked a couple days after that, the point is, that's not something he's going to soon forget. Um, and the, the Ninevites, you know, conversion, <clears throat> whether it was long-lasting or not, because you know it really wasn't long-lasting. It was, again, as I mentioned, the largest recorded in the Bible, bigger than we see uh, anywhere else. And it's, it, is, it is five words in Hebrew that basically mean until or, or after, 40s, after 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That is the message. That's, at least that's what we've, what's, been, what's revealed to us uh, as the message. And again, it is God's plan. According, that was his plan. So because of this, because we see that this message, whatever was done, whatever was said, this is what we know was said, but it was done according to the word of the Lord. The big picture... Yes, ma'am? Didn't time say that he had been a prophet for 20 years did you say that, Frank? No. Yeah, he said that. <laughs> he did. This is—he's not some newbie. Yeah, he's not—he's not a new prophet. And so maybe he learned. Maybe this was exactly—he knew exactly to do exactly as God said. Because the fact is, for all of us too, we often think we got to have the answers. I got to study everything about New Age before I go downtown to the festival where we're going to have our booth. Because I got to be able to speak about Buddhism and, and and all this kind of stuff. And I need to have all the answers to every Jewish objection to Jesus, every atheist objection to Jesus. I've got to have all these things, you know, all these things lined up. The fact of the matter is, is that it is God's plan, and He has seeds inside of everybody. He's the one that actually does the convicting of hearts. Clearly, the, I mean. Regardless, I mean, Jonah said, this is, what, this is what's recorded for us that he said. I think if it was a bigger message that, that God wanted us to know, he would have told us and preserved it. But this is the one. After 40 days, and then it will be destroyed. And the seeds are there. People know. People have, have, have had all kinds of experiences before we get to them. Things they will never know, <clears throat> even after knowing them for a long time. You've probably known people for 10 years, and all of a sudden they, something comes out one day, and you're like, I never knew that before. About that, that was in there. You don't know these kind of seeds that people have in them. And really, our job is to realize that, to do it according to the, the way of the Lord, knowing that those seeds are in people, and knowing that we must proclaim what it is God's given us to proclaim. Our story, our message, what he tells us, our mere lives. Sometimes it's just few, very few words. Sometimes it's just our presence. We know that Jonah, for, for whatever else he said beyond these five words, he was there and he went. That was very, that's very dramatic in the text, very explicit that he got up and he went. And that's what's important, is that God does do the heavy lifting. Mary, you had something to say? Well, just to go back to, uh, to Jonah, where he came from, he probably was an Israelite. He probably was an Israelite in, right? mm-hmm. in those years. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a prophet. And, you know, and went at, so the reputation or the knowledge of what happened in in, in Israel, Sure. It's his reputation could have preceded him or whatever. The, it could have. Again, it, it may be part of the case. Maybe, again, maybe he was, maybe his skin was blanched from fish acid and he was telling him to tell the story. We don't know. We don't know what was going on necessarily. But that's very possible that, that clearly there was something in him that's, I mean, you've probably heard someone talk before that you're like, this person's talking with conviction. We see it in, in the New Testament as well. This person, he talks with authority. He teaches with power. There's something different about him. So 
It could be. John, you what is, what is your, um, I know how this translation translates it, the beginning of verse 5, what does your say? Beginning of verse 5? And the people of Nineveh believed God? Bingo. Huh? Mm-hmm. What, say what Jonah, right? The Ninevites believed believe Jonah. The mm-hmm. Ninevites believed, no, the Ninevites believed God. I think it's, is it Yadda there? I can't, I don't have my... No, tell him. No, no, but believe, the belief part, I can't oh, Yamino. Okay, so that's from, from, from Amen. Yeah, yes, yeah, from Amen. Yeah. So Amen's got a real. That's that's a whole word study in itself. Amen is not just yes or period. I mean, it talks about tr- trust. The root of it is trust, belief, belief in the one that said it. When you're saying Amen, it's not just period. You know, it's more than more than that. Much deeper. Yeah, what, what, what I mean is, is but, but who they believed? They believed God, right? right. Capital G. They didn't believe Baal. It says Elohim there, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, sure. Oh, I was going to say, like John just said, that um, they believe God. They weren't arguing that God existed, or maybe who said this? Maybe He did. Maybe <laughs> like today they right. would, right. but they they have believed God. You know, which I think right. is interesting because the sailors believe in in Adonai too, mm-hmm. but they also had all their other gods. You know, true. So um, maybe these people all had other gods too, but they also yeah. believed. There's a lot to be said for them believing God because we, at least we understand that be, the whole idea of believing is, is a concept in which God gives us the heart, the eyes, the ears to believe what we hear, what we see. And so, I mean, even though it says they believe God, which is, you know, a very short phrase, but it's the fact is God had to be doing some invisible work once again behind the scenes that wasn't necessarily known to us here. Mm-hmm. As God always does, he does invisible work before Jonah even got there to maybe even prepare exactly. the people, whether it was a dream or whether it was uh, a certain idea in their head. You know, I'm just saying God does things that we don't always understand invisibly ahead of messages, ahead of things that take place. And that was my point when I'm saying that there are seeds in people already, there's background in people already that we don't know. You know, we, we talked about looking at this book from an outreach perspective, and I'm not trying to put things in there, but clearly this is a book about, definitely applies to outreach, it applies to repentance of those we're talking to, it applies to ourselves as well. But there are those seeds in there, and there are, and, and that's why... You know, it's, it's less about, I mean, yes, we prepare, we show ourselves approved, we're ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us and, and all of these things, but there's a much bigger piece to it as well, that people are being prepared in ways that we don't know, just like we're being prepared in ways, just like we have experience. There are people, absolutely, that I cannot reach, that, that Duke can, or that John can, whoever can. It's not because they've got a better message, but they've got, they've got just as God's given them or prepared them. It's also interesting to note what they choose to do. Mm-hmm. That yeah. they actually choose to proclaim a fast. Right. They choose to do it on this kind of scale. <clears throat> that they had an understanding of what that meant to God. And this is and this is some things that these are some of the items I put in your notes. Not necessarily to say this is the model what we must do every time. However, we're seeing this response was very immediate. This response was very visible. Again, we don't always see, like Michael mentioned, some invisible things, um, but uh, it was a very this just was a very immediate, invisible response. We see that the king 
released all of, got off of his throne, basically. It says he rose up, he basically got off his throne. He removed everything that could be you know, perceived as human strength in, in his power uh, in an act of full repentance and surrender. And quite frankly, surrender is often one of the things that's most difficult for us to do. We talk about raising our hands or surrendering. You think, well, that's easy. Not necessarily. <laughs> surrendering is not always an easy does everyone really easily surrender when you work in Floyd? They all just come and turn themselves in. Every criminal says, I surrender. No, they, they lie. They do all kinds of things before they're going to surrender. Floyd says, this is, see this videotape? Floyd would go in a room and say, this is, remember me? No, I don't remember you. See this videotape? Remember, that's me in disguise. Remember when I, that was, no, I don't know who that, I don't, that's not me. Okay. Like, I mean, even then, dead to rights, no one's, no one's surrendering, you know? So uh, it's like, that kind of thing. You see sackcloth mentioned three times. Um, that's a clothing or covering that's, that's obviously a sign of mourning or humiliation. Again, that, that's, a, that's a part of surrender and repentance. You see fasting mentioned several times. So I, I mentioned that you know, we're not preaching about, I mean, not teaching about fasting necessarily, um, but it is, it is definitely, you see fasting in Scripture and you see it as a, as a way to sort of heighten your, your spirituality by saying, you know, I'm not going to just go by my complete physical senses um, that demonstrates to the enemy that, that your priorities. And so I, I made that conclusion there from these verses, and there's other ones we can draw, but that repentance needs to be seen as serious business evidenced by actions. Um, evidenced by actions. Any other comments on those, those verses? Yeah. Yes? Yes, McCarrick. Don't you suppose they knew Jonah was an Israelite? Pardon? Don't you suppose they knew Jonah was an Israelite? Yeah. They knew what that stood for? Yes, however, we're still talking about enemies. I mean, you might, you know, yeah, there are times, th- those get in your, your way sometimes, I think, regardless. You know, I don't know if you've ever had that before, where you, maybe somebody you work with was really good at their job, and you probably should listen to them and do what they say. Maybe it was a superior, but you just don't like them. It makes it hard to listen to them anyways. I think there's all those hindrances, too. Again, I'm, I'm making that conclusions. To me, that's where the miracle of God is working. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, it's got to be scared out of these wits in the first right. place. I just had a comment so it kind of shows his like in a sense that their God is greater I mean he's given them a chance mm-hmm. and maybe in their eyes that moves them to, mm-hmm. to change or try to at least repent yeah they didn't do it because the king they were doing it. Yeah, that happened afterwards. Clearly, the message had gotten to him after they had already done right. these things. Yeah, it wasn't because the king said right. Exactly. Right. Well, so you were asking, how did the king? How did the king know at the very beginning if we wanted to get it, the yeah. king's attention? Yeah. Uh, apparently, if your entire if your entire civilization that yeah. you're in my, around is yeah. doing something, yeah, you're going to get his attention. Yeah, it happened, and it happened pretty fast. That's for sure. <clears throat> did I see someone else hand or something? And what, when do you ever, you know, give your enemy a chance? So, like, they, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. in their mind, here, they would probably just attack, whereas here's this God, I'm giving you a chance. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you opportunity to, and not even in a, I mean, there's there's that choice between, do you want me to be merciful, or do you mm-hmm. want me to go this way? Right. And so they chose the mercy instead. Yeah, and I don't have much for that time to cover all the things in the last 10 minutes here, but did, did the people really repent? This is a question that comes up. And again, this is, a, this is instructive for us because I think we often, I, I hear it quite a bit, maybe I don't know if it's just my position that I hear it, 
why I hear it. Maybe you guys don't hear it, but I often hear, so-and-so, I don't even know if they're a believer. You know, and so-and-so's not even a real believer. And I'm thinking, who? We, we're very quick to decide, and, and who knows how we make that decision? Who knows how we make that? Granted, there, we can talk about fruit, and we can talk about changed lives, and we can see examples where it seems like you know someone's got a good, better facade than the other person. Maybe they really haven't repented, and this one did. But we make that we make those decisions all the time, and I think we need to be really careful about that, because again, when we read forward in, in the history, we see that no, it didn't really look like it was all that all that lasting necessarily. Matthew twelve forty one. I mentioned the book of Matthew. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Matthew twelve forty one. <clears throat> just as Yeshua giving the, the sign of Jonah, or right before in verse forty, he says. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. And then he says, the people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah. So there's some evidence there, I think, that there was repentance at the proclamation of Jonah. Um, So was there repentance? Did they repent? Again, only God knows, but it seems that they did. It seems that they did. One of the big questions uh, that also comes up is, did God change his mind? Does God change his mind? It's been mentioned here a, a, a bunch of times, either sort of subconsciously, that even just Katrina just said it there, that you know, they knew that if they did this, then God would do that. If they repented, then God would... It doesn't say that, quite frankly. It doesn't say that that was sort of the carrot that was dangling out there for them. It, it says that in 40 days... You're done. Exactly, you're done, is what it says. Some some have said that, no, the 40 days was not just a predetermined warning, but it was a call to repentance. And, um, when, and then when God saw that there was repentance, there was no longer a need for that action, and that's why he relented. But again, I don't, I don't think so. Certainly not by the text itself. Not entirely. That's not the real scenario that we're seeing. We're not really seeing a... If you do this, then I will do that. And quite frankly, I think this whole scenario is not something that we can relate to at all anyways. I mentioned earlier about this idea of accommodating language. 40 days. 40 days more, right? Any of you, have, any of you that have children? Crystal, you don't have to tell because your kids are right here with you, but it's up to you. But uh, we give our kids warnings, too. I did one just today. I think it was today. I'm giving you four seconds to get back to the table... And I start counting, you know. Boy, you're nice. Four, three, <laughs> and we do that kind of stuff, right? And what are we thinking when we do that? When we give the tens, I'm going to count the three, I'm going to count the four. What are we thinking when we do that? You're thinking what you're going to do if they really don't do it. Exactly, and quite frankly, uh, I'm thinking I'm going to do it regardless, you know. But uh, regardless of what we're thinking, I guarantee you, I'll guarantee that no parenting is really thinking the way God was thinking. If, in fact, he was saying, 40 more days for you to repent, then I'll do this. Even if he was saying that, I still don't think it's a way in which we can relate to. Because we're typically more like, as we're waiting, we're like, you better get back there in 10 seconds or else, you know, whatever. We're not really thinking like God. And, quite frankly, we just end up looking stupid. I end up looking stupid, I think, when I'm counting. You ever seen a we, parent we, count? We, you ever we, seen a parent we, count? You ever been in public? Because you do it in private, like me. You're probably smart. You do it in private. And you see another parent do it in public, and you're like, boy, they look so stupid doing that. You know, lecturing the kid like that when I just did it, you know, back in the car or at home. You think, oh, they look just so silly. The kid's not listening and all this. It doesn't make any difference. My point is, is that any of this language that we see, and, and not just here in Jonah, but 
many places in the Bible, but certainly this is a good example because it seems like God changed his mind. This is really just language that sort of helps us sort of understand what's going on, sort of, in the best way that we can, that we can sort of understand. It's, it's not a parallel. It's not a parallel with how we understand what it means to change our minds. With God, it's completely different. Like when we see over and over in the scripture, God became angry. God was jealous. And people really struggle with that. They say, I mean, how can you follow a God that's angry? How can you follow a God that's jealous, that's just fickle and changes his mind and so forth? Well, don't forget, this is language that doesn't really, we can't really parallel it with what we think of these terms. Mary, you were going to say something? It is, but but again, they took that on themselves. And I kind of I was thinking about this today. Is that really the fact is that there's really no explicit um, carrot that's dangling. You got 40 days to change your ways. It's not really that way. And I think that's actually more instructive for us. Because otherwise, what happens if we had that carrot out there? What happens if, you know, all the time, you know, like we had, we did, you know, we had, we, we have, if we have ice cream at home, of course we don't get that before we eat the food. So we dangle, you eat your, this that, you know, we made, and then you can have this, and that's why they do it. So if it was a matter of a carrot out there, and if it was a matter of, you've got 40 days to examine yourself, and if that was with the message that, now, that may be what they received, but if that was the explicit message that God gave, I think that would be less instructive for us, because then we would try to perform. We would try to make sure that we do everything right, because we've got 40 days, we've got 10 seconds, <laughs> or whatever, you know. Um, because, again, I really don't think that we can relate or understand anyways, because the, God, the, 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 the language of God changing his mind, really, it's not a dilemma. Um, it, it's, it's the idea that God acted in compliance with his character that we see repeated. I read that one psalm, but that's not the only place that it says God is slow to anger, God is steadfast in his love, all of these kind of things. The language of God really changing his mind really means that he, the word really doesn't even mean change in the sense that we have the word change. It's a word that means relent. And he, he relented, but again, it's really what we would call accommodating language. I heard uh, interesting, Rabbi Chaim, you saw something that was interesting just a second ago? Maybe not. I think he was saying about examining. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. No, what I was going to say is that um, Scripture endeavors to communicate the mysteries of God in human language. Yeah. How else? Yeah. <laughs> and, and the point is, we, we look at that, and we don't get the fact that what it's saying is just brush strokes of, of the bigger reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I... Isaiah 55, 6 through 9 speaks of what you're saying. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just about the compassion of the Lord and that mm-hmm. his ways are not ours. Mm-hmm. Right. And his thoughts are not ours. So. Right. The, the other thing, too, you can talk about God putting two doors before people mm-hmm. and saying, um, here's door A, you walk through it, this is going to happen. Here's door B, you go through that, and, and mm-hmm. such and such is going to happen. Right. And in essence, I think you can make an argument that that's what he's saying here. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think we also look at God's judgment as always being a bad thing. 
again, because we relate it to our understanding of all these words. You know, we talk about that's a big word that's used quite often in the New Testament as well. What does judgment mean? And we're not to judge. James chapter four says, "Do not judge." There's only one judge because we're, we there, we we are to judge. We can judge. I can say, you know, I like this better than this, or the judge between two things, equality and distinctions, and so forth. Judge is a, a broad kind of idea. But and we also have to remember that God judges in terms of well done, uh, good right. and faithful servant. Exactly. And just because we don't hear clearly that God judged the city, on some level he, you know, he did, if he did, decided that it was good for them to to have life. Right. Linda Grant, you had something? Well, I just love how the Lord's compassion comes through at the end. Where's Jump into chapter 4? Oh, yeah. Can't go there. Okay. <laughs> he just talks about there's the 120,000. And these poor people, he has such pity on them. They don't know the right hand from the left. And besides that, there were a lot of animals there. Right. I mean, he covers everything. Yeah. And it just really touched me when I read that today that his compassion is what is who he is, and that's what really comes through here. Yeah, I thought I had the psalm written down, actually. There is a, I can get it to you later. I thought I had it here where he, um, there's a psalm that talks about his compassion for animals and stuff like that, too. So for the animal lovers, it's not just, this is not the only place. It's actually in there that he has that compassion. Um, well, my Bible says that, and I looked it up in, in Genesis, that this word overthrown is the same word used in Genesis 19 for Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe it is, yeah. I think it's, 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 it's not just the politicians are going to yeah. lose their jobs in four right. days. Not just the right. educated. This is nuclear And, and those folks, explosion. Those folks, it wasn't 40 days or else. I mean, it was, yeah. you burned them up. You run for the hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything with breath is going to be killed. So, with the last couple minutes, I just about did cover. Let me hit a couple conclusions that I didn't put in your notes, and then we can we can we can finish. I didn't know if we, how much we would cover here because this is this is actually a lot of stuff here. But um, so again, as I mentioned before, in chapter three, there are lessons for outreach for sure, but also for transformation, also for salvation, repentance. And again, we we love God's mercy. I think we do love God's mercy. We love it for us. God's been so gracious and merciful to us. But the question I have, and I think it's sort of been alluded to, is how do we love it for those we feel deserve the opposite? That we've decided, <laughs> you know, we love it that God's merciful to us. But I think if you're honest with yourself, we often look across the table and we say, they don't deserve it. But you want to see, maybe after they get what they deserve then, then they'll come around. But we want to see that first. I think it's a big lesson for us. This, this book, let alone this chapter, is a very good lesson for us in that how we view God's mercy for others. Because we all love it for ourselves, let's be honest. We all love it for ourselves. And again, I mentioned before how we should be careful to put ourselves above the rebellious, faithless Jonah. But again, remember that he had a clear and audible message from God, at least twice, at least twice. Probably more than that, the way he kind of interacted with God. And again, we see in chapter 3 here this obedient, no-nonsense action of Jonah. And can we say the same for ourselves when we've received any kind of prodding? Maybe it hasn't been that kind of clear, audible voice, but as Crystal said, she knows. She knows times God said to do certain things. Can we say the same for ourselves, how we respond in such a no-nonsense, we got up and we went, according to the way or according to the word of the Lord? Can we say that, you know, this is not condemning, 
This is for us to understand that it's not some magical thing we have to do, but we, we, do, we, we do need to follow God to get up and walk in that direction, whether we know the message up front, whether we know it as we go along with it, God will continue to tell us, as it says, I will, I will give you the message as you go along. It's an ongoing action. And the question, again, a big thing for us to remember, too, is that the question of whether or not God will forgive, whether God will show compassion, is not correlated, it does not relate to what you or a person has done, but his genuine compassion and genuine forgiveness has to do with his character, his changing of mind. It's not based on what they did, how they repented. It's based on his character, his compassion, and the genuine repentance of the people, which only really he has the, the right to judge. We could, we could talk about that a lot. So you may have some more comments and so forth. I apologize. I went over like a minute or so here, but uh, oh my we can stick around and, and, and talk. So one comment from Cheryl, and then we'll have a prayer, and then you can stick around and continue to talk if you'd like. Well, um, they fulfilled his requirement. They repented. That's all God asked. What's that? They, God just told them to repent, and they repented. But they didn't say, let's go the extra mile and have some sacrifices here. You know, um, how come he could forgive them um, even though they didn't sacrifice? Well, again... The text doesn't tell us he asked them to repent. Oh, that's true. It doesn't. It says, in fact, he said, like, 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 like your husband said, just like in Sodom, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nuke you. He said 40 days, and we can, we can infer that that's what that meant, and we see what they did, and they did sacrifice in terms of fasting and sackcloth and these kind of things. So, again, we don't know the mind. We do know that, 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 that God, at least in Matthew 12, Yeshua even said that they repented. So that, that much we know. But beyond that, we really don't, quite frankly. So I don't know that there was a hoop for the jump through, which again I think is instructive for us because it's kind of like King David when, when David was given a choice, would you rather have A or B? You know, would rather have disease or would you rather have enemies come and kill you? He said, I'll take the disease, basically, because I, I realize that's more going into God's hands than falling into man's hands. Mm-hmm. And so that's the same idea here is that these people, whether or not God said repent or not, they decided, hey, you know what, who knows? But they, they decided to trust that that could be the case. And I think it's good that we don't have the specific, explicit Okay, ten more seconds, or else. I think it's good, at least instructive for us to meditate on the fact that, wow, we may not have that, that, that hard you know, hard and fast, we know exactly what we need to do, because we tend to then try to perform and jump through the hoops and so forth. And the fact is, that's not why we're forgiven, that's not why God relents, changes his mind. It's based on the character of who he is, not on who we are. So, would you mind? Oh, sorry, good. We... I was just saying amen. Oh, amen. Okay. <laughs> Floyd, would you mind closing us in prayer? Father, we come to you humbly tonight. Knowing that so much of the time our faith is so weak. As we learned tonight that you can use even the most weak faith. And we just ask Father tonight that you would take us and use us in that way. Father, we uh, ask your forgiveness for the times that you've nudged us in a certain way. We've been like the one that said, I'm not going to do that. I don't feel like that today, Lord. But then you don't just throw us out with the trash. You come back and say, look, I want you to do these things. So, Father, we just ask that you shrink in our faith in what you want us to do. And help us through your spirit, Father, to understand when you're really saying, I want you to do a certain thing. And thank you for giving us the example 
of how you used Jonah and what it meant and what was the outcome of it, Father. It's amazing. So we just ask for that power within our lives through your spirit, Father. These things we ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.